electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with uh, David Faber and John Ford. Cramer has the morning off. Futures are swinging around a bit this morning. The story obviously remains the war between retail and hedge funds as the SEC, Reddit, David Tepper all weigh in today. It's an enormous day for corporate earnings and macro. We'll get to all of that. Our roadmap, though, begins with the Reddit revolution and the short squeeze. Continued volatility for GameStop, AMC, and now a surge for American Airlines. Plus, we do have those big earnings. Tesla records its first profitable year. Facebook and Apple post record profits. Shares of Apple and Tesla are lower, though, ahead of the open. And coming up this morning right here, the CEOs of both ServiceNow and Southwest Airlines. They're going to weigh in on quarterly results, Carl, from both those companies. Yeah, David, as you uh, well know, um, a less directional story this morning after Reddit briefly went private last night on Wall Street Bets. Watching AMC, um, we've seen some of the other uh, names go into the red, but AMC is now down 40 percent. So this is... Uh, an evolving story, not quite an echo or a uh, repeat of what we saw the last couple of days. No, uh, things are reversing a bit. GameStop, I mean, it had hit as high as, I think, 500 in the pre-market. It is certainly down from that, though, still up. But this is still up. Oh, there it is. And it is now starting to fall as well. Um, but I'll tell you what's going on, on on Wall Street and amongst the hedge funds. I mean, first of all, to the extent that this has been about more than just uh, traders making money, Traders on Wall Street bets, that Reddit chat forum, making money. It's also been about exacting pain from the hedge funds. They've been successful at that. Uh, any number of uh, large funds uh, have suffered significantly, uh, 15, 20 percent. It depends. I'm not going to go through a lot of the names. And then, of course, the key focus here, Melvin, that uh, very successful hedge fund run by Gabe Plotkin has suffered massive losses, uh, so much so that, well, we'll get to it in a minute in terms of its future. But, you know, what this also has done, Carl, is it has forced um, massive reductions in shorts. Uh, it has had uh, hedge fund managers questioning whether you can really short single names or at least not for the time being because it has changed their view of the risk inherent in doing so. Uh, you've got, obviously, fund managers taking down their growth, taking down their leverage uh, overall at this point and their exposure. I mean, all those things are sort of linked. Um, and so when that starts to happen, uh, you will start to see some of these stocks decline. Now, in the case of AMC, we were saying yesterday, why not sell stock? Well, Silver Lake certainly uh, heard that, right? They converted all $600 million of their convertible note into common stock. Why? Well, because the conversion price was $13.51 a share. Uh, why wouldn't you, right, John Fort? And the question has become, why wouldn't you if you were GameStop? Which, for a brief moment there, actually not far away, had the same market cap as Best Buy. I think their sales are a little different, but the same market cap. Their profitability is a little different. Uh, why wouldn't you sell as much stock as you could if you were uh, AMC, 
struggling to avoid bankruptcy, if you're GameStop struggling with your business model and any of these others, as we watch American Airlines, the key beneficiary this morning and cost for some reason as well, continues to, as there is still this focus on Wall Street bets on these high short positions. And one thing, John, that people are keeping a close eye on is how many people are part of Wall Street bets. It went from 3.6 million to 4.4 million overnight. (laughs) Yeah, don't let the grass grow under your feet if you're looking to do that, because as we can see in these market movements, life comes at you fast. I mean, who who knows what's going to happen next? It seems like the the justification for what's going on here and in Wall Street bets on Reddit started out being about a couple of specific stocks and punishing uh, the hedge funds and and folks who are short. And it's just turned into something else, I think. I mean, there are apps like Robinhood that will tell people what's trending, right? And not everybody is going into Reddit to figure out how to participate in this. It, It strikes me that for sure some retail investors, traders, gamblers, however you want to put it, are seeing stuff and hearing stuff in their own ways and piling into this I mean, some people are certainly doing it too late because that's how this works, right? Somebody is long, somebody's short, somebody bought AMC, you know, uh, 30% ago. It's down uh, 30% pre-market right now. And this is the sort of potential retail investor pain um, that, that we're talking about here. It's just a question of how many people get hurt before this is all out and, and, and people who benefit because certainly there have been people who benefited from finding uh, these problems in the system, Carl. Um, you know, Mark Cuban's comments on Squawk Box, I think, and Chamath Palahapitiya's comments on Halftime yesterday, they make some sense. Th- these are people who are playing by the rules as they stand. If there are problems with the rules, you can't just talk about that when it's the big guy making money and the little guy losing out, this is a case where the tables are turned. Right. And as we said, a lot of voices uh, added to the conversation this morning. Not the least among them was Alexis Ohanian, the co-founder of Reddit, uh, who talked about whether or not the uh, genie is fully out of the bottle. Here's what he said on Squawk. The thing that has been really eye-opening for me is to see for how many people this is it's personal. Like I said, there, there are stories from the recession, uh, from OA in the aftermath that are, that were being told, you know, during Occupy Wall Street in Zuccotti Park, but that was a time when, you know, the internet was still in its infancy. And, and in many ways now we're seeing a new reality. And, and I, I do think, I mean, this is, this is without precedent and, and obviously everyone should be making, um, you know, they, they should be very thoughtful about where they're putting their money and their investments. Um, but I do think this is a drastic shift. Now, David, uh, he went on to say that Occupy Wall Street uh, didn't have Robinhood accounts. And in his words, their figurative drum circle has gotten a lot bigger. And it may be, in fact, Robinhood. And I don't know that we've confirmed this, Carl. Andrew was talking about it earlier, uh, that Robinhood not allowing trading in certain names. We haven't uh, confirmed that, but that might also be a reason we're starting to see a reversal in some of these names because GameStop would be amongst them. It is a powerhouse, Robinhood, as we well know. Uh, And, of course, you know, I've made uh, connections to the late 90s in some way, but certainly, and Bob Pisani's uh, made this point many times, the the difference, of course, is the ability to do something so quickly uh, with this. But, you know, what's also interesting is the populist nature of this, as you point out. I mean, we have politicians like AOC and Elizabeth Warren chiming in. Um, And the sort of the the, the group mentality here of attacking 
sticking it to the man uh, has been fascinating, kind of unexpected. Uh, certainly, I, I, those who've been no stranger to this program know that I've talked for years and years about the outsized compensation of hedge fund managers, uh, which has been ridiculous. I've always said that they've all been paid as though they were superstars, and most, if not almost all of them, are not, although Mr. Plotkin's numbers in the past have certainly indicated he is amongst those who perhaps was at least deserving of being given that uh, that title uh, and, of course, made enormous amounts of money like so many others have uh, for years. But don't forget, hedge funds also are invested in by pensions. They're invested in by uh, teachers and firemen pensions and all those kinds of things. They employ uh, many other people other than the top management uh, who does typically make uh, fortunes if they are even in the least successful. Uh, but Mr. Plotkin, well, as for him, I mean, uh, the Plotkin thickens, I think, is what we got to say there. I'm, you know, the, the, uh, the fund that was the focus for so many of these Wall Street bets traders uh, is in trouble. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Now, I have not been able to get to Mr. Plotkin specifically, but the numbers and, and what he's down are, is dramatic. Uh, and he had that uh, infusion from Citadel and from 0.72. That money's probably gone at this point. Uh, and so the question will become there, what is the future of that firm? Uh, unclear at this point, unclear um, how that would, if in fact he were to, you know, Citadel and Point72 were to try to work something out or, or it's just unclear, I guess, is what I have to say. Although I would point out Steve Cohen and Ken Griffin are not exactly the best of friends. So that would be one heck of an interesting negotiation to watch. Um, and, of course, Mr. Plotkin himself, listen, he bought a $44 million home in Miami. He bought part of the Charlotte Hornets. Keep an eye on hedge fund managers who buy teams. Doesn't always work out that well. Uh, Michael Jordan still owns most of them, uh, John. But, uh, you know, he, he did uh, kind of do a number of those things. He never had a high profile. But the question will become, I think, his and a number of other firms are in serious trouble. Others have suffered losses. 15, 20 percent as much as that, given the volatility in, in particular yesterday. But uh, but there are going to be a number of firms here that it's it's a more of a reckoning than just that. For sure, David. And, you know, what I would say also is let's also talk about who's winning here, at least in a sense, this uh, this Reddit crowd that did that. Uh, who am I, right, to, to speak to this? But here's what I would hope is that they don't stop here with, with a, a short squeeze for the ages. If this is really about the little guy in this American economy, in this global economy, let's see if you can use this as a way to democratize good research on the fundamentals of companies. Why not do that next? Get people banked who are unbanked. Save. Uh, invest in a small business rebound. If there's really this power, right, in the retail investor pooling together yeah. for good ideas, let's see if it can be done on fundamentals as well, because there are so many people in this country coming out of this difficult period that we're in that need to get smarter about investing. So how about not yeah. just playing the system, Carl, in this sense, and very well, you know, in, in a way that might be justifiable in a lot of cases, but how about something that's sustainable and benefits the little guy for years to come? Yeah, it's a nice, uh, I like the way you're threading that out, John, because, um, you know, David Chamath's point on the half yesterday was whether you believe him or not. Yeah. Uh, he, he says that the research in the, in the retail community, given the power of Reddit, is now equal to that of, of any hedge fund. Yeah. And it would be nice to see ways to democratize 
uh, tools for the good. Yeah, I'm not sure I do believe that. I mean, not the, to take away from the Peter Lynch school of thought, uh, but, you know, <laughs> Melvin has 35 very well-trained analysts. They had an incredible data platform. Now, by the way, he didn't get the flows right. He didn't understand what was going on here. He took way too much risk, and he was short way too much of the float. So, all right, Chamath's right on that point. Uh, and, uh, and as I said, Mr. Plotkin's paid the price for that, and as have some others. But it's hard for me to imagine to a certain extent. You know, I know the work that a lot of these funds do. One day it will come back to fundamentals. Clearly, this has nothing to do with fundamentals. Otherwise, GameStop would be closer to a $10 stock than a $300 stock, I think it's fair to say at this point, uh, Carl. By the way, uh, you know, the size of the trades here, the size of the, of the dollar volume being traded also points to the fact that there certainly are other big investors in here somewhere. I don't know who they are. Uh, look into the options market. There's leverage being provided there in the options market for some significant bets that perhaps are beyond the wherewithal, certainly of those who are just buying a share or 10 shares or something along those lines. So there is that. And, uh, you know, GameStop doesn't have 140% of its float short now. I don't know if it ever did, but it certainly doesn't now. If you want to borrow it, you can borrow it. Uh, and so, you know, Chamath brought that up yesterday. Because he was learning, David. He's learned. Yeah, I guess he was he's learning. learning. There's some big money in there learning. I think that's the volume that you're seeing. The learning. The learning <laughs> is interesting. Yeah, he cr- criticized the two and 20, John. That was interesting. Meanwhile, like, he's he's one of the few guys on the SPAC side still taking 20 percent. He gets his full 20 percent, by the way, relying in part on the same audience uh, to, to, to step up and buy some of those SPACs that he's rolling out. Um, John, uh, you know, the longshore community is going to work this out however they work it out. In the meantime, it is beholden on us to at least mention what is probably the busiest day of earnings season. I know you went over Microsoft earlier in the week and that incredible number out of Azure. And, of course, the Apple quarter, uh, most profitable quarter ever, a revenue above $100 billion for the first time, up 21 And then you talked earlier on Squawk about the silos that were uh, incredible beats, iPhone, iPad, wearables, and services. Oh, my goodness. Guys, I mean, for, for, for a second story, right, uh, $111 billion quarter? Quarter? I mean, that, that is crazy. I, I'm thinking about what Apple uh, is doing here and what Tim Cook has achieved. And, you know, for a while I was thinking about, you know, Tim Cook uh, being happily in the shadow of Steve Jobs as being sort of a Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan situation, like, you know, do we really appreciate the greatness of Scottie Pippen? Now I'm thinking this is more of a Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan situation because Tim Cook is who Steve Jobs needed to even scale Apple off of that original base. He had to bring Tim Cook in to, to get Apple working again. And Tim Cook has scaled that like nobody could have imagined, Carl. Uh, yeah, this is what the Cook said on the call. Take a listen iPhone grew by 17% year-over-year, driven by strong demand for the iPhone 12 family, and our active install base of iPhones is now over $1 billion. The customer response to the new iPhone 12's model's unprecedented innovation, from world-class cameras to the great and growing potential of 5G, has been enthusiastic, even in light of the ongoing COVID-19 impact at retail locations. Of course, we uh, showed the stock down a touch here, David, does sort of remind you what B of A said earlier in the week, and that is we're seeing companies that beat underperform relative uh, to the rest of the market uh, by a degree we've not seen in oh, 20 years or so. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, uh, we know we bring a- uh, analysts on all the time. 
What was the multiple, John? It's like 35 times, right? I mean, the multiple has moved up substantially. It has been rewarded, of course, at one year uh, move, as you see, 78%. But uh, um, at 35 times, perhaps people are starting to wonder. Again, Carl, back to valuation, which perhaps does seem to matter in Apple. I guess if they had 140% of their shorts, of their shares short, uh, you know, it would be a $10 trillion market cap. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, speaking of which, we will get to what Goldman said this morning about SPACs and bubble-like sentiment. We'll get to some of the other earnings from McDonald's, Tesla, Facebook, American Southwest. We will talk to uh, Gary Kelly of Southwest about the quarter and maybe about what's happened to some airline stocks this morning. And, of course, ServiceNow's Bill McDermott when Squawk on the Street comes back. Don't go away. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Shares of service now, as you see, are higher, almost 5% higher in the pre-market. Quarterly results, subscription revenue, and guidance exceeded analyst forecasts. Joining us now in a CNBC exclusive is ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott. Bill, given all the news this morning, we may have to keep it a bit shorter than we typically do. But let me start with guidance. Um, some companies still can't give it. You are, and you are giving quite strong guidance. I think up 28% for subscription revenues. For full year 2021, non-GAAP subscription billings up 25%. What gives you the confidence that you can put those numbers out there? Well, we are building the best platform for digital business in the enterprise today. And I give so much credit to our great engineers. You back that up with the secular tailwinds of digital transformation. The whole idea of cloud computing, everything is moving to the cloud. And business models have to innovate to serve their customers in this new environment. All of those forces are core competencies of ServiceNow, and that's why we're growing faster than everybody else, and that's why our customers love us. And the new environment, it's not even new anymore, of which we found ourselves, and we've talked about it in the past. You've given some interesting predictions in terms of how much of a workforce will remain remote, but how has it impacted your business? How do you see that evolving over the course of this year as people do get back to the workplace? Oh, look, we were very strong before COVID hit. Um, actually, COVID has accelerated digital transformation. So if you think about the world GDP, growth in the world is actually down, yet digital transformation and the spending in digital transformation is way up. And IDC, for example, predicts $7.4 trillion will be invested in this digital transformation movement in the next three years. So what's going on out there? St. Jude's Hospital, as an example, is one of the real success stories I enjoy for the quarter because they had to work remotely to save children's lives. And by enabling St. Jude with the Now platform, they were able to take everything remote, streamline their operations, and deliver success in 30 days. And this same paradigm is true in NHS Scotland with vaccine management. Uh, now vaccinating five and a half million people on the now platform, North Carolinians with 10 million citizens. So the point is we can pivot so quickly 
in any environment, pre-COVID, COVID, and then more of a hybrid world after COVID, which is why we're growing faster than all the other ones. So I really see a reordering of the enterprise participants and ServiceNow will continue to be the market leader for sure. Bill, uh, good morning. It's John. Hey, put a finer point on that for us, if you can, because we've seen such success from certain enterprise software players that were positioned right to begin with heading into this crisis. ServiceNow seeming to be one of them. What is the difference maker for you in 2021? Is it more the overall macro rebound, which, though, as you as you mentioned, uh, you're doing better than uh, than overall the economies are or is there some particular area you're investing in, whether it's a particular engineering area or it's your sales force? Well, that's a great question, John. If you take AT&T, take PayPal, Nike, BP, USAA, these are all customers we announced as references in the quarter. And what they all want to do is they want to deliver great employee experiences because, look, they're hiring people they never even met. They have to train them and bring them up to full productivity really fast. They have to now service their customers in a frictionless environment where the customer now gets streaming services, as an example, that they can subscribe to and have an incredible customer experience. And you have to use virtual agents and all of these new AI technologies to simplify the customer experience. So, John, our competitive advantage is the platform itself. We have one platform on the best architecture, and we're doing it all organically. On a year-over-year basis, we had two major product releases. We have 70% more functionality that we're delivering to our customers, and we built it all organically. And there's nobody that's growing at more than 30% on a year-over-year basis at 25% operating margins with $1.5 billion in free cash flow, all spinning off from organic innovation, great engineering, exceptional go-to-market and customer care, and that's why our customer is the most loyal in the business. So, John, this is sustainable, and that's why we were bullish when we came into the forecast, and we remain bullish. All right, and that's why the stock is up almost 75% over the last year. Bill, as I said, we've got to leave it a bit short today than we don't typically do. Look forward to seeing you next quarter. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Carl? David, we do have now some statements from Robinhood and Interactive Brokers about restricting trading on some names. Uh, the statement out of Robinhood says our mission at Robinhood is to democratize finance for all. Uh, we're proud to have created a platform that has helped everyday people from all backgrounds shape their financial futures and invest for the long term. We continuously monitor the markets and make changes where necessary. In light of recent volatility, we are restricting transactions for certain securities to position closing only. As for interactive brokers, uh, they say we've put AMC, BB, Express, GME, and costs option trading into liquidation only due to the extraordinary volatility in the markets. In addition, long stock positions will require 100% margin and short requires 300% margin until further notice, David. Uh, that's likely to uh, raise some hackles. Uh, and some anger in certain sectors. Yep, I've seen it on Twitter already, as you point out, Carl. Uh, people upset at the idea that they can no longer buy, and it will have an impact. Uh, it would be curious to see just how much, of course, uh, but it will conceivably have an impact on shares of GameStop and many of the others, although, I mean, again, American Airlines this morning, that was unexpected. Better than expected numbers for a company that had been losing, what, $30 million a day 
Uh, but you can see there, the stock had been up as much as 50%. It's come in. GameStop is coming in. AMC, we talked about the conversion there by Silver Lake of 600 million of convertible notes into stock, given the conversion price was, well, it was at least uh, above, uh, excuse me, well below where the stock was, although no longer. Uh, But Carl, this story is far from over. And again, I would come back to the broader story, which is you've had an enormous reduction in risk by many on Wall Street who run hedge funds, who are now going to think very differently about how they go about shorting stocks. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, that that equation has changed. When we come back, uh, Southwest Gary Kelly on the quarter and the markets in a moment. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All the, the manipulation, not even manipulation, all the, the swings in the price of the stock, it's all just Michigas, right? I mean, if it's a good company, it's a good company. If it's a bad company, it'll end up going out of business. And, you know, the people who, you know, bought it just to speculate, will some will make money, some will lose money. But that's just the way the market's always worked. That's Mark Cuban on Squawk earlier this morning. He did say, David, last night on Twitter, I got to say, I love, love what's going on with Wall Street bets, all those years of high-frequency traders front-running retail now the speed and density of information is giving the little guy uh, an edge. Um, but he did point out this morning it is going to be a two-way street. Listen, at some point, GameStop is going to return to uh, a more normal valuation based on its prospects as a company that has brick-and-mortar stores for an uh, industry that is going fully digital. Um, and I don't know what that, when that's going to be. Nobody does. But uh, it will happen. Uh, you know, at the same time, John, there is a stick it to the man sentiment here that is quite strong on the Wall Street Bets chat forums that people have been reading. I mean, there is a, yeah. a, a desire to sort of see pain or what they call loss porn, I guess. I mean, there really is. And uh, uh, that's an interesting part of this and perhaps, you know, unexpected, but kind of reflective of our, of our political situation in some ways as well. I, I think it is, but we, we keep saying the little guy. I keep saying the little yeah. guy. I think it's important to remember there's lots of little guys, right? There's the early little guy, and then there's the late little guy. And a lot of this is going to play on who the late little guy is and <laughs> who ends up holding the bag here, because there is a bag to be held. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's no uh, confirmation that you're little, uh, no. by the way, on these sites. You, no. don't get a, you don't get a blue check mark that, that affirms you are little. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's no transparency at all, Carl. It's a good point. We really don't know who's on those boards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can imagine all kinds of scenarios where uh, people pretend to be something that they're not. So we'll keep an eye on, on the broader indices. Um, you know, David, the, the, given what's happened with corporate earnings, and we talked a bit about it in the A Block, um, given what's happened with uh, stimulus, certainly the vaccine numbers, the hospitalization numbers, J.P. Morgan points out long short's going to settle this, but the fundamental story in their view um, hasn't changed. And we'll see the degree to which these dislocations 
uh, overpower the broader story about the recovery. Yeah, well, let's not forget as well, we did have a, a, a broadly uh, down day yesterday with the S&P off roughly 2.5%, one of its worst days in quite some time. So we will be keeping a closer eye on the broader market, despite the fact that this attracts so much attention right now, given how crazy it's been. Um, but, Carl, your point's a good one. People are talking about, of course, the vaccine rollout, the return to normal for the economy at some point, the enormous amounts of potential stimulus that are coming in, certainly seen as positives by some and those who are bullish overall. John, I also wanted to come back to earnings, if we could, as we watch American Airlines oh, yeah, those. up 23 <laughs> percent. And, you know, we talked a bit about Apple. We didn't get to Facebook at all. But I'd love to get your take as well on some of these comments from Zuckerberg on the Facebook call. Uh, saying we now increasingly see Apple as one of our biggest competitors. Uh, and, you know, let's take a listen to Zuckerberg, and I'd love to get your reaction in terms of how you see things. We increasingly see Apple um, as one of our biggest competitors. iMessage is a key linchpin of their ecosystem. Uh, it comes pre-installed on every iPhone, um, and they've preferenced it with private APIs and permissions, which is why iMessage is the, the most used messaging service in the U.S. Yeah, convenient, convenient to say that. I mean, in a real sense, from a business model sense, no, these aren't really competitors. You mentioned VR, which Facebook's not really making any money at, AR, you know, which, which Apple is rumored to be stepping into, and then, of course, messaging, which Apple, for them, it's kind of a, a, an extension of their ecosystem, but it's not something... Apple makes money at in the way that Facebook is trying to. But when Zuckerberg says that, it sure opens up, boy, we're competing with one of the biggest companies in the game, regulators, hint, hint. Uh, but really what is happening here is Apple is an ideological competitor at a level that they have not been before. When you look at iOS 14, its potential impact on the likes of Facebook when it comes to ad targeting, that is really important. And this more open war of words that has been uh, heating up between Apple and Facebook, you know, they've been a little bit more cute about it in the past, talking about, oh, well, Apple serves itself with its App Store ecosystem and its rules. Oh, well, Apple saying we don't make money off of ad targeting and people's data the way some others do. Now they're just taking open yeah. shots at each other more than they were before, David. But even that said, I still think Facebook is in position, even with this iOS 14 changes, they're going to do really well. Because in this omni-channel world, we were just talking about digital transformation with Bill McDermott. Part of that for retail and so much of the world that's trying to touch the consumer is being able to play digitally. You've got to buy Facebook ads to be seen. Right. And even if Facebook's old style of targeting isn't going to work the way it used to, they're best positioned to figure out what will work. And Facebook has a history of figuring stuff like that out. No, I, you're, I listened. You're right. Although we need to be fair. It is pretty interesting to watch them just taking absolute shots at each other, not holding <laughs> anything back. I mean, and sort of questioning each each side's uh, veracity and and. Uh, and things like that. I mean, and it's early in the conference call. You know, they write these things out. It's not like he just riffed. I mean, it's all a script, as you well know. <laughs> so he chose to, uh, they chose to come after them hard. Now, as for those Facebook numbers, I mean, fourth quarter revenue, 28.1 billion, John, up 33%. Uh, that's still their fastest growth rate in over two years. They, and they still got more in the tank. Like we, we've talked for years about, boy, they're monetizing the Facebook platform. But what about Instagram? What about WhatsApp? And then it became, oh, well, now they're monetizing Facebook and Instagram. What about WhatsApp? Now we're starting to see WhatsApp come together. They're talking about the ways that these different platforms 
each at a billion plus in terms of users, the ways that they are working together. And there's more potentially to come. And we're seeing the same thing out of Apple. I mean, oh my goodness, right on the day when the iPad hit the 11-year anniversary of its being unveiled by Steve Jobs, the iPad is at, you know, just, just really Fortune 500 level revenue in this resurgence of productivity technology during COVID. So when you consider whether you're looking at iPad, whether you're looking at Mac with Apple's homegrown chips in it doing so well in the quarter, look at iPhone. Oh my goodness, China. China up about 60% year over year. Now, granted, there's a, there's a comp issue there with COVID in China a year ago, but the strength that Apple is showing across the board, even considering that they, in a sense, have one hand tied behind their back with the physical retail stores closed, shows you that across the board, pretty much, remember Netflix earnings an eternity ago, across the board, these FANG stocks, these big tech stocks that had this thesis about changing things, they continue to have momentum, whether it's Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Netflix, uh, ServiceNow, and so forth. Yeah, guys, uh, we also want to touch on Tesla, of course. Uh, 80 cents misses by about uh, 21. Uh, revenue was ahead. We did see some price target increases out of Deutsche. They go to, I think, well, I, I can't remember. I want to get my numbers straight before I go with it. But we did get a downgrade of Tesla over at JMP, David. They say, even looking at other category killer technology companies, we cannot justify higher target multiples than seven times revenue and 35 times EBITDA, which is where we have been. Uh, they go to market perform. Although uh, Elon Musk still expressing confidence in deliveries jumping by 50 percent for 2021. And we've seen a lot of analysts, of course, try to justify increasing their price targets by going up significantly in terms of their expectations for deliveries into the future, Carl, as they obviously open up more and more uh, factories around the world. I'm looking at one this morning from JMP now. Their unit delivery estimate for 2021, John, is 952,000. They had been at 841,000 previously. Uh, Stock's still up 600 plus percent for the year, just uh, one year, despite what is, as you see, a 5% reduction in its overall market cap today. And we've got to remind the viewer, of course, Elon Musk, when it comes to targets and meeting them, he's no Tim Cook, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's more of a Steve Jobs. Uh, and, and I mean that in the most uh, complimentary way possible, Carl, but you, know, you, you can't exactly take that to the bank with Elon Musk, but uh, you, you can count on him for vision. Uh, Yeah. By the way, guys, we did get a halt on uh, GameStop momentarily. Uh, It's now resumed trading down about eight, nine percent. Probably not the only halt uh, that we'll see today. We obviously have seen multiple halts in the past couple of days on GME. Look at Southwest uh, this morning. Airline reported a mixed quarter topping estimates, uh, but falling short on revenue. Its 2020 loss of three billion dollars does represent the first annual loss in nearly 50 years. Gary Kelly joins us, uh, as he often does on the quarter, Southwest Airlines chairman and CEO. Gary, it's great to have you again. Welcome. Glad to be back. Thank you all for having us. I want to get to some of what's happening with airline shares in the capital markets, but just on the recovery uh, and cash burn, we've been hearing from from a lot of players that the first half uh, hope might be dimming and turning into a second half hope. Is that is that, is that turning into your bear case or your your base case? I you know it's just hard to predict, and um, I think we're what we want to do is stay healthy. You know we're running the best airline 
once again, we'll have the best cu customer service record. Uh, we are outperforming financially. We've got the strongest balance sheet. Uh, and our people are pumped. They're, they've done a great job surviving 2020 and getting us uh, to this point. And this is going to be a recovery year. Um, finally, the case counts are starting to ebb, and that's encouraging. January and February uh, seasonally are rough months anyway, uh, in addition to the, uh, you know, the COVID case uh, counts coming into the year. So I think uh, we'll wait and see what happens here with March. It's a little too early to call. Um, we're certainly anxious to see how things begin to materialize uh, Memorial Day and beyond getting into June. And, um, you know, I think as soon as the case counts start to come down and people regain their confidence, I think there's pent up demand and we want to be ready for that. I think the important thing for everyone to know is that we're poised and ready. And uh, we're in a position where we can adjust our flight counts downward if demand is weak but we're also ready to move up uh, and increase our flight activity if demand starts picking up. The only way for us to get to break even is to generate more customer uh, traffic and more revenues. Uh, we can't cut our way to uh, break even. So uh, that's important that we maintain our readiness on that front. And uh, again, I'm very optimistic. Uh, we got the vaccines, the vaccination process is underway. Uh, a little bit uh, off to a sluggish start, but uh, we're going to yep. get there, and uh, when we do, we're going to be ready, and, and we'll do well. Um, I mean, a lot's been written about Southwest in the past few months about how you've been opportunistic and adding some uh, capacity to markets where you hadn't traditionally been, uh, given how nimble you guys can be. But I guess the question would be, what are you looking for, given how cancellation rates have made booking trends a little more cloudy? When would you be confident enough to start bringing pilots back in, to start adding cycles in a meaningful way? Well, we, and again, I think it's important to note, uh, talking about our employees, we had no furloughs, we had no pay cuts, the only major airline to be able to pull that off. So we have a lot of people that are temporarily taking time off, and we can recall them very quickly. Um, so we'll look to see what uh, passenger demand does. Uh, we'll look to the bookings to, to see that. The orientation with bookings is relatively short. Usually, uh, you know, outside of a pandemic uh, environment, we would start a month with about half of the bookings that we would expect to ultimately achieve uh, for that month. So it's a very short cycle. And um, again, we'll just need to be nimble and, and be ready to respond. Uh, we've been adding new markets, which is a different uh, uh, aspect of your question. And there we're tapping into new customers and giving existing customers new opportunities to fly on us. So that's a breadth play as opposed to adding depth in existing markets. Right now there is no depth. We're going to have to see the recovery begin before we get to that point. But the nice thing about Southwest and our route map is it's still in development. We still have opportunities to add new routes, as you've witnessed. And um, since uh, November of last year, we'll uh, have added a dozen uh, new markets uh, that, that we've published so far. Gary, uh, it's David. Um, for those employees that you have, particularly those who are attending to the inside of the airplane, your flight attendants and the like, 
Are you doing anything to make sure that their mental health is okay? And I ask that because we've all heard these stories of the stress that they must be under, whether it's getting somebody to put a mask on who refuses to, or dealing with a passenger who wants somebody else to put a mask on, or even political divisions, apparently, that occur in an airplane in arguments. Um, what's the state of their mental health right now, and what are you doing to deal with it? Well, our folks are very resilient, uh, first of all, and... Um you know, pardon the expression, this, this isn't our first rodeo. So uh, we've been in business, this is our 50th year. Uh, we focus on people, we focus on customer service, we focus on taking care of each other, and in, in, in return we take great care of our customers. So that's just part of the culture uh, at Southwest Airlines. Now, this has been the most stressful uh, th time period in, in my life and certainly for our company. So absolutely. And, and I think a lot of it uh, starts with just making sure that we support our people. We need to have clear policies. We need to have clear boundaries on customer behaviors. And um, then we need to have an understanding with our employees about how to deal with conflict. Uh, and how to be reasonable and rational in, in certain situations. So yeah, I think um, our leadership has really leaned in to supporting our people, uh, where we do a good job of listening at Southwest Airlines. There's definitely been challenging uh, uh, situations, but uh, again, I would say the morale at Southwest is very, very high, and people are anxious to get all this uh, behind us. For sure. Uh, now, Gary, tell us, to what degree is further congressional action, especially when it comes uh, to, to help uh, financially, to, is that important to Southwest as a company? And is it important to Southwest employees and the type of worker base in this country that that represents? What, what are you seeing based on both your position as CEO of this company and someone who's listening to the workers? Well, I think it, uh, it, it speaks to your last question as well. I think one of the major concerns of Americans and people around the world is, am I going to have a job? And am, am I going to be able to pay the bills? Uh, am I going to see my hours cut? Am I going to see my pay rate cut? All, all of those things. So to the extent that we can, we can assure our people that there is job security, which we have tried to do at Southwest, I, I think that that reduces the anxiety tremendously. We could not have done that without the government support. Uh, no company can be prepared to lose the vast majority of its revenues and survive. It's just not possible. Uh, so uh, without that government stimulus throughout our economy, I think uh, you, you would, we would be facing a, a very serious depression right now. So we're not out of the woods yet. I think it is appropriate that the government is looking at that. I know that union leaders around the country are urging uh, Congress to protect their memberships with jobs. Uh, and uh, it's something I think should be looked at. But clearly what's been done so far uh, has been critical to maintaining job security and also air service. You know, we haven't cut any domestic routes uh, from our uh, system. Every point that we were serving coming into the pandemic, we are still serving. And then, as I mentioned, we've actually added, we'll have added a dozen. Uh, so that's an important uh, element of this, uh, you know, government alliance, if you will, uh, also. Yeah. Gary, finally, um, American airline shares are more heavily shorted than Southwest, but it did appear this morning that American uh, got caught in what appeared to be a bit of a short squeeze. Pre-market shares were up 80 percent at one point. I guess I'm wondering um, to 
to what degree are you and your financial team watching that? And what is the role of a, of a fiduciary uh, at, at a company when they see their shares rocket? And, I mean, some argue you, it's incumbent upon you to somehow take advantage of it in this, in this squeeze that we've been witnessing. Well, you all have been talking about it all morning, and um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how many different people made the point, but I agree with you. You can't change the fundamentals. And, um, you know, we, we, want, we want to be a good citizen. We want to certainly take care of all of our shareholders. And you start by telling the truth, uh, setting goals, and, and then executing. And we've got a 50-year history uh, of, of performing. You know, the, 2020 is our first loss since we started up, uh, which is an unparalleled record. And, and, you know, it took a pandemic, you know, to finally uh, result in a loss at Southwest Airlines. But that's where you start. Uh, take good care of your people, take great care of your customers, uh, be good partners in the communities that you serve, and produce a profit and not overpromise. Uh, in fact, under-promise and over-deliver. If you do all of those things, everything else ultimately will take care of itself. But, uh, yeah, it's a really strange uh, scenario that we're watching <laughs> with these uh, short squeezes. And, um, uh, you know, fortunately, we, we haven't been uh, victimized by shorts. Uh, honestly, for all the 35-plus years I've been at Southwest, it's just never been a, a real significant challenge for us. Gary, appreciate the time. Obviously, uh, be a lot to discuss in the in the weeks and quarters to come. But we we love that you come on and talk about the quarter. Appreciate it. You bet. Well, thank you again for having us. Still to come, Washington's message to Wall Street about GameStop's wild ride. And by the way, it is up again, approaching Best Buy's market value. I would point out. I think it's interesting, given the disparity in revenues between the two companies. First, though, let's get to uh, the bond report. And we're going to take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. It's a roller coaster ride for yields since yesterday afternoon's Fed policy announcement. And Chair Powell's news conference, as you can see from this chart, other 10-year note, uh, we are a bit above 1%. Same goes for the dollar index. As you're looking at it right now, down a bit. New home sales data due out at the top of the hour, by the way. Want to keep an eye on that. And we're right back here on Squawk in the Street. Local veterans in Washington have a warning for Wall Street in wake of this Reddit-driven short squeeze. Eamon Jabbers joins us now to explain. Eamon? Yeah, John, that's right. There's a whole group of political consultants here in Washington who are watching this GameStop situation uh, with fascination and also with some familiarity. They argue that what we're seeing here is a financial version of the type of populism that we've seen in American politics over the past decade or so with the Trump MAGA movement and also uh, going back to Occupy Wall Street. So a couple of similarities that they're spotlighting for me in my conversations with them. Uh, and then also some of the lessons learned from Washington here uh, as you think about how this movement might take shape going forward. So first of all, the similarities here in terms of the populist piece of what we're seeing in the financial markets. One is the rage and economic anxiety that we're seeing being expressed in these actions. Uh, the belief that elites 
are rigging the system here against the little guy. Uh, and the fact that technology equalizes the playing field, both in the communications technologies and also in the trading technologies, the ability to participate, the memification of the message is similar here. Uh, the virality of some of these communications enabling an exponentially larger group of people to be exposed to these messages. Uh, the element of nostalgia for a better time, you know, make America great again was literally about making America a great again, hearkening back to a time in the past. Uh, people are explaining to me that the lure of GameStop is that this is a company that a lot of these investors remember from their childhood, a better time before COVID uh, and before the economic troubles of today distrust of the media and a willing embrace of risk. They, they know the risks here, uh, the populists do, and they're willing to do it anyway. So what are the lessons learned here and sort of the, the Washington message? Well, uh, one is that this mixture of fun and a moral or political cause is an extremely potent force. The pool of potential people here who would participate in this is nearly unlimited. Uh, their advice is to understand your critics, if you're a member of the Wall Street establishment, and don't think this is someone else's fight. Pay attention here to what these critics are saying and try to understand the social dynamics of the movement that we're in right now, Carl. So fascinating look at the populism of the markets from a political lens. Uh, it's ex so many parallels, Eamon. It's amazing to talk about. Uh, David, it kind of reminds me, uh, you know, you look at what's happened to, say, campaign finance uh, because of what social media has been able to bring. Uh, same kinds of things are happening to markets. Although, to your point earlier, a lot of this is very clumsy work. Uh, there was an Australian nickel uh, producer in uh, overnight GME resources, right? Where have we seen GME before? Yeah. Up 53 percent overnight. Uh, and there was a uh, confusion about AMC versus AMCX as well. AMC Networks, of course, right? The Living Dead. That you know, the, um, that was up a, a great deal yesterday. So yeah, there's been some confusion there. And, and Carl, to your point earlier, in terms of transparency, uh, I mean, the growth in users on Wall Street bets from what 3.6 million to 4.4 million, I believe, in less than 24 hours. You know, we don't know who all those people are. I'm not sure we should call them retail anymore. Yeah. Talking about that, maybe, John, they should just be called traders because there are a lot of them, and some of them are taking awfully large positions, particularly in the options market, which I think we want to keep a close eye on. And then there is a lot of vitriol for Robinhood right now, uh, John, which you well know. I mean, you're seeing it on Twitter saying you can't own, or at least I shouldn't say that, you can't buy shares of GameStop or AMC or Nokia and the like. Yeah, when you're robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, that's one thing, but when there's a glitch in that system, if you're Robin Hood, uh, even the populace can turn against you. Great, great perspective from Eamon out of Washington. On that nostalgia piece, though, it's, it's a testament to how quickly this story changes, because it might have started with that nostalgia with GameStop, with AMC. Oh, remember when we used to buy video game cartridges at the GameStop? Remember when we used to be able to go see movies? But American Airlines, do we really think that's about, oh, remember when we used to fly to, you know, on, on vacation. No, that's, that's the next short squeeze opportunity. And I think the other piece of this that we saw in politics, the question is whether we'll see it here, is who capitalizes on this to consolidate power? We saw Donald Trump do it with the populist movement in politics. Will we see it in finance, Carl? Uh, great questions, John. Um, we'll continue to stay on top of GameStop and some of the other wild rides we've seen. We have some data at the top of the hour, if that matters. We're back in a minute. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.